0: If you'll join with me, today's scripture reading is from Matthew 5, 38 through 48. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning. Hey, congratulations on getting here. Those of you who are here in person, no shade to anybody who's not here who's watching on video. I have to assume a few folks were like, I'm gonna watch on video this morning, that's gonna be all right, but if you made it here, hey, way to get here and it is good to be together um, this morning. Um, Quick, just for fun, a quick poll. Who absolutely loves the rain and it brings you joy? Okay, so if you're watching on video, actually a good amount of hands more than I thought. Who detests the rain and is like, try not to be miserable right now? Okay, me and like three other people. Um, Who is somewhere in the middle? Like sometimes, I know we need it, but it's good, but sometimes it wears me. Okay, so a lot of us are somewhere in the middle of that trying to work out. I am glad there's rain, that God has brought rain for people who need it and for our drought, right? And for our earth and California, this is great for a lot of people to have rain. I'm trying to make it through and not curl up in a ball of angst right now with the rain and darkness. Anyway, good to be together. Glad we are in this space together and glad that we have a space to meet right? We have a space to meet that is warm and is safe. We do not have rain falling on us. And let's be grateful. Uh, Would you pray with me? And then we're going to look at some more of the Sermon on the Mount this morning. Dear God, thank you for your love. Thank you for the rain. Um, Thank you that we can be here together in this space. God, this morning, would you let us be challenged by you? May we just humble ourselves, God, and open up our hearts to let you speak to us, to let you challenge our assumptions, to let you challenge the ways that we live. God, I ask that you would speak to us this morning in ways that are real, in ways that are real to our real life. And as we encounter challenging words, God, may you also keep us mindful of your love and your grace and your mercy that is so good and so big towards us. Um, In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So this morning, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount and talking about our own formation, how God forms us into new people, into the image of Christ, and what steps we can take to be a part of that formation that that God does in our lives. And so we're going through the Sermon on the Mount and looking at these ways of living that Jesus taught around 2,000 years ago, and wrestling with how do we integrate these things into our real lives. And this morning, I was going to move on past this passage about anger because we'd already talked about reconciliation and some people can kind of lump these two together. We only have a few weeks left for this series. I was going to skip it and then I was reading over the Sermon on the Mount and considering where we were going and thought this is just too important to not spend another week on because loving our enemies is real in our world right now and is hard. Um, So I really felt compelled in prayer and considering all of us to to spend a week wrestling with how to love our enemies. It's similar to reconciliation we talked about, but it's also different. Similar in that they're both hard in real life to do, and Jesus has, has taught us these ways to live that are that are countercultural in our world. But together, let's wrestle with how to love our enemies. And before this, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells his disciples that they are to be salt and light in the world. So if we ask this question, how can we be salt and light? One of the ways we can be salt, we can be light, we can be unique. A unique people called by God is to actually learn how to love our enemies and actually act on loving our enemies um, in real life. That will make us different and unique and set apart in this world that so desperately needs that. Jesus is teaching us like this new way to be human. Here is the way to be human. I'm going to tell you to love, but now I'm going to lay out in detail what it looks like to be this kind of person that lives by God's values, that lives by God's ethics, that lives by by God's teachings. And I hope you would agree with me, I think you would agree with me, that we need this teaching to love our enemies today in this world. Amen? Our world needs this. Our world needs the church to learn how to live this. Right, in our country, in our state, in our neighborhood, on Facebook, on Nextdoor app, right, with your neighbors, right, in neighborhood meetings. Like, I don't know if you've been to some neighborhood meetings in Oakland, they get a little crazy. Um, city council meetings, have you ever been to one of those? They, they get a little crazy. At Thanksgiving, right, with extended family, at Christmas, like, how do we embody this? Because we desperately need to be people who know how to live this out, how to love our enemies. Our world needs this, to figure out how to love people that we really disagree with, that we vehemently disagree with. And there are times when we need to call people out, when we need to rise up and say, that is wrong, and that is unjust, and that is not okay, and we have to say that. And at the same time, Jesus says to even love those people, right? Those folks, those folks over there, that we are even called to love those with our heart and also with our actions. So let's wrestle with this together. And there's this big idea of loving our enemies, but then I'm I'm hoping that we can also wrestle with in our own individual lives, in our corporate life as a church, how do we actually love our enemies in real time, or maybe our frenemies, or whatever you wanna call those people, right? Let's look at this first section again. I know we just read it. I'm gonna look at these first four or five verses, 38 to 42. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, Give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you, and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. So the old law, which we'll look up and read one of the verses, but there are many verses in our, what we call our Old Testament that basically regulate retribution. It has to be proportionate to the offense. Leviticus 24, 18 through 20 says... Anyone who kills an animal shall make restitution for it, life for life. Anyone who maims another shall suffer the same injury in return. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. The injury inflicted is the injury to be suffered. But then Jesus comes along and says, Okay, you've heard it said this, this, this is, and this is how you've interpreted it. But I say to you, I say to you to love your enemies. I'm gonna read a little clip from N.T. Wright talking about this passage. I think he says it beautifully. N.T. Wright wrote, Jesus offers a new sort of justice, a creative, healing, restorative justice. The old justice in the Bible was designed to prevent revenge running away with itself. Better an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth than an escalating feud with each side getting worse than the other. But Jesus goes one better still, Better to have no vengeance at all, but rather a creative way forward, reflecting, and hear this part, reflecting the astonishingly patient love of God himself, who wants Israel to shine his light into the world so that all people will see that he is the one true God, and that his deepest nature is overflowing love. No other God encourages people to behave in a way like this. Amen? So let's look at this text together. And this text is one of those times when some really careful study and and Bible background, cultural background, historical background brings these stories to light in a way where Jesus' original hearers would have heard these quick illustrations and go, oh, you mean like this, oh, you mean like that, oh, you mean like that. And we hear it and if we don't know the context, we don't quite get like the the oomph of what Jesus is saying. So I wanna look at these first three illustrations And if you wanna look at 38 to 42 and and maybe keep it open in your Bible or or keep it in mind, we're gonna look at these first three things. And these first three quick illustrations have in mind a way of giving up your rights, a way of saying, okay, I'm not gonna come back at you. I am not gonna hit you back. I'm not gonna pursue violence against you. I'm going to let you take something from me. But the way it actually happens is a way where there is a creativity and how it's done. There's also a standing up and a creativity in how you let someone take something from you that is really fascinating. I wanna look at each one of these three for a moment, okay? So I think if we could put 38 to 42 just on the screen and keep these three in mind. The first one is about hitting. Um, and actually, I forgot to ask you, Luke, can you join me? This is just, just real quick, run up here. I was gonna ask him before, I totally forgot, but I think Luke is game for whatever. Um, <laughs> So this first illustration is about hitting someone. We'll, we'll come over here so we can stay on the street? Yeah, I was gonna, you know what, it's okay. Um, you're good, so here, come on here in the video feed, okay? I'm gonna actually do the hitting. Um, first illustration is if, you, if someone hits you on the right cheek. So if someone hits you on the cheek, the original hearers would have heard this as someone giving you a backhand. So Luke, come closer. So in this society, a backhand slap was considered demeaning. That is how you would slap a slave, someone way lower you on social status, maybe a servant, maybe a child, hopefully not a woman, but those are some of the things in an ancient culture. So if you would back, come here, Luke, I'm I'm not gonna. So if I would backhand you like this, okay? Boom, I'm not gonna do it, now go go like this, go, okay. (laughs) If I was to backhand you, right? The old way would say, okay, well, you can hit somebody back or you could sue them, right? There's a lot of options now you've been offended. Not just hit, you have been, this is a demeaning way to hit somebody, okay? So if I hit you like this, it says, turn the other cheek, so so come forward. So I hit you like this, instead of hitting me back, turn this cheek, turn that way. Now what you're doing is, I now, if I wanna hit you again, and you're like, okay, hit me again, I now have to hit you like this, which is the way to hit an equal, okay? This is not the way you hit a slave or a servant or someone, you know, if so you find on the street, this is the way you hit someone who's equal to you. So you stand up, that's good, okay. Then I'll hit you this way, okay. Okay, let's give Luke a hand, okay. So, so you're saying, okay, I'm not gonna hit you back. I'm not gonna start screaming, I'm taking you to court. I'm just gonna turn the other cheek. You can hit me again, but you're gonna hit me differently. Okay, and everyone's gonna kind of see this. So there's a creative element, I will let you hit me again. I will not strike back. But there's also a creative energy in how this thing goes down that, that would be strong and make a statement and is really intriguing, really creative in a way that you do this. Now, look at look at the second one, the cloak. If someone's in ancient culture, there would normally be a cloak, okay, an outer garment, and then there'd be an inner garment, kind of two main pieces of clothing, okay? Your tunic, your shirt, and then your cloak out here. Now, you weren't allowed to sue somebody or take someone's cloak. That was how you would need that to live. That would keep you warm. That would also be used as bedding. Okay? So, you actually, there was laws you couldn't take someone's outer coat or cloak. You could sue someone and take their shirt. So, someone sues you, takes you to court, it says, I, I'm going to sue you for your shirt. Jesus says, okay, you know what you do? Let them have your shirt and let them have your cloak as well. To us, it's like, okay, let them have your jacket. But in that culture, you really had two pieces of clothing. The person was not allowed to take this one. So imagine you go to court and they're suing you. You say, oh, you know what? Here's my shirt. Here you go. And you know what else? Here's my cloak. Take this too. You would either be naked or close to naked, depending on how you would, you would read what they are actually wearing. Okay? So you're saying take this. And you're saying take your cloak, which would have also been illegal for the person to take your cloak, to sue you for your cloak. So you're saying, you can have it. I'm not going to fight you. I'm also going to give you this. And then I'm going to walk out. So the scene is, imagine a court scene, someone walking out naked or half naked, giving them your cloak. So you've said you take it, but you also have made, right, a creative statement. Okay, you can have all of it. I'm walking home. Third illustration Jesus gives that we can read it and say, oh, you walk with someone two miles, okay. Third illustration, I'm gonna tell a little longer story. In that time period, a Roman soldier was allowed by law to have a Jewish person carry their bag for one mile and there would be mile markers. And it was a known rule, if a, Jew, if a soldier says, hey, Jewish kid, carry my bag, you have one mile. That's just the way it was. And they're not allowed to ask for more or less, they can ask for a mile and you carry that Roman soldier's bag. So I want you to imagine something. I want you to imagine you're a Jewish person in the time of Jesus. You've been brought up learning all these ancient stories about your people group, right? You've you've heard about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Solomon and David, this great nation, right? And how, how God had chosen you as a people group. You've learned the Torah and the commandments. And yet you're living in this confusing time period when you hear these stories about God but your reality is the Roman Empire has taken over your people. Okay, the Roman Empire rules your land, your people that God gave you. Roman soldiers are walking by, and they're, they're ruling your people by military might. So you're like wrestling with these, this text of God, and yet you're seeing these soldiers walk by who are controlling your land with their fancy outfits, right, and their armor, and their, and their tools of violence, and their bags. And there are movements in this day, Time of jesus that sought to overthrow the romans there were multiple factions groups of people who were like there were zealots who were saying we're going to overthrow them with with vengeance we're going to organize we're going to get them out with violence there was a group called the sicari named after their daggers they carried around long daggers that were curved at the end and they would try to assassinate roman leaders they would also assassinate jewish leaders who were too friendly with the romans so you got your zealots and your Sicari and other people saying, we are going to overthrow. We're going to kill whatever Roman we can. Right? Like, we are God's people. This is not okay. So imagine growing up, right, in this, in this strange juxtaposition of you are God's people, but this is happening. And some of your friends are like, we just got to kill them. Some of your friends, we just got to wait and pray it out. Some of your friends are like, God's abandoned us. And there's a rule that says, when the Roman soldier walks by, he gets you for one mile. That's how it works and you know that. So now imagine you go hear this new rabbi Jesus teach, and this Jesus is saying, I'm going to tell you something. Here's an idea. When someone asks you to go one mile, you go with them two miles. That's this new way of love. Imagine hearing that with your friends and thinking, is he serious? (laughs) This Roman soldier It's not right we should have to do anything to them, number one. Number two, you want me to walk two miles with one of these Roman soldiers occupying our land, oppressing our people with violence? So then imagine you're out one day, like you finish a hard day of fishing. You're exhausted. You're with your friend, and you see a soldier walk by. He says, you, carry the bag. So you go, and you carry the bag. And then you remember these words of Jesus. Here is this way. Here is this unique way, this different way to be a human. Here's a different way to be Israel, to even love your enemies. And so you carry that bag, and you reach the mile marker, and the soldier reaches out for the bag, and you say, you know what, I'd like to carry it another mile for you. And you just keep walking. I'm going to carry it another mile. And you smile. I'm going to carry it another mile for you. And you start walking, carrying his bag another mile, With, with a smile and a look of kindness on your face. That soldier is like, what, probably never thought that would ever happen to him, right? This, this Jewish person would say, I'm going to carry it another mile. And now this soldier is wrestling with what is happening, how can this kindness exist in the world, and this wrinkle of like, I'm not supposed to let somebody carry it two miles. There, there's a rule that says one, and he is saying, I'm going to carry it, no, I'm going to carry it two, no, no, for real, I got you, I'm going to carry it two. So it puts the soldier in this position of receiving love, but also in this precarious position, like all three of these illustrations. It is loving somebody, it is giving up your rights, but it is also doing it with a little bit of dramatic flair of pointing out what is happening with, with an outpouring of grace and an outpouring of something very peculiar in this space. It makes a point. And then Jesus says this fourth thing, which is a little different. He says, oh, and by the way, Give to anybody who asks of you. Anybody who asks of you, go ahead and give. So in that time period, just like today, there were people in their midst who did not have enough, right? People who were homeless, people who were poor, who were going to ask for money. And it's just not practical to give money every time, right? It's just, let's just be honest, it's just not a practical thing to always give So we have all kinds of logical reasons in our head why you can't do that. But Jesus is pointing to this other way of living, amen? That this other way of love. Let me show you a different way, a different ethic of how we live in society. So now now I want to look at the, the second portion. Verse 43. You have heard that it was said... You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. And this is good for today. And sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same, And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I want to point out first, a lot of scholars think a good way to to, um, interpret this last sentence, which is hard, is be complete as your Father is complete. There's a complete way to think, a whole way to live. I want to give an illustration for loving your enemies. One main illustration, because I was looking at this passage and wrestling with what this looks like for us. How do you love somebody who is cruel to you? Right? How, how do you act, how do you in your heart love somebody who is doing bad things to you? All of us have, Jesus points out in this little section, there are some people who are easy to love, Right? Right? There's some folks, it's like, I can love this person. They're always kind to me. They're always there for me. They're easy to get along with, right? We have the same interests. We have the same political views, right? We have the same theological views. Oh, gosh, I love having lunch with so-and-so. Like, we need some of those people. But then there's everybody else. Right? Everybody else, to, to, to different degrees, can be hard to love. And Jesus says, love your enemies in this particular Way And I was wrestling with, who has put this into practice in a real way? Like, both the first section of these creative ways of nonviolence and love and this idea of loving your enemies. And, and the person that the pastor in American history who did a brilliant job of taking this teaching and putting it into real life was Martin Luther King Jr. He, he took this Jesus teaching, like straight teaching of Jesus, and said, how do we implement the teachings of Jesus into what is going on in our society? Like, how, how do we actually live this out in what we are doing? So Martin Luther King Jr. preached the word of God. He was a preacher. He would preach love of enemies, and they would train people in this resistance movement, or, or, or freedom movement, civil rights movement, train people on how to love your enemies while being spat upon, right? While being a fire hose coming at you while you were being ridiculed, right? While you were marching, these things were happening. Can you actually still love that person and, and not strike back? And they, they actually trained people on how to follow the ways of Jesus. And because of like, that training, the way of Jesus was put into real life, and that, that changed our country. It, it changed things, because they stood up in a creative way, but not in a violent way, in a loving way. And King taught over and over again, you will love that person who's oppressing you. We're not gonna stoop to hatred. We're gonna love the person who is hating us. We're gonna love them and pray for them. So I'm gonna read some quotes from um, a King sermon. This is way more quote than I would normally read from a sermon, but it'll be on the screen. King gave this sermon called Loving Your Enemies at Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in 1957. Um, and he is a brilliant um, orator, so I'm going to read some of what he said about this passage. And I've taken excerpts, and, so you see some dot, 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 or I kind of couldn't do the whole thing. It'd take forever. He said, A second thing that an individual must do in seeking to love his enemy is to discover the element of good in his enemy. Every time you begin to hate that person and think of hating that person, realize there is some good there and look at those good points, which will overbalance the bad points. I've said to you on many occasions, each of us is something of a schizophrenic personality. We're split up and divided against ourselves, and there is something of a civil war going on within all of our lives. There is something within each of us that causes us to cry out with the Apostle Paul, I see and approve the better things of life, but the evil things I do. So somehow the isness of our present nature is out of harmony with the eternal oughtness that forever confronts us. And this simply means this, that within the best of us there is some evil. Within the worst of us there is some good. When we come to see this, we can take a different attitude toward individuals. The person who hates you the most has some good in him. Even the nation that hates you most has some good in it. Even the race that hates you most has some good good in it. And when you come to the point that you look in the face of every man, and hear this part, when you look in the face of every man and see within him what religion calls the image of God, you begin to love him in spite of. No matter what he does, you see God's image there. There is an element of goodness that he can never slough off. Discover the element of good in your enemy and as you seek to hate him, find the center of goodness and place your attention there and you will take a new attitude. Another way that you love your enemy is this. When the opportunity presents itself for you to defeat your enemy, that is the time which you must not do it. There will come a time in many instances when the person who hates you most, the person who has misused you most the person who has gossiped about you most, the person who has spread false rumors about you most, there will come a time when you will have an opportunity to defeat that person. Might be in terms of recommendation for a job, might be in terms of helping that person to make some move in life. That's the time you must do it. That is the meaning of love. In the final analysis, love is not this sentimental something that we talk about. It's not merely an emotional something. Love is creative, understanding, goodwill for all men, I would say, and women. It is the refusal to defeat any individual. When you rise to the level of love, of its great beauty and power, you seek only to defeat evil systems. Individuals who happen to be caught up in that system, you love, but you seek to defeat the system. Now there's a final reason I think that Jesus says, love your enemies, it is this that love has within it a redemptive power. There is a power there that eventually transforms individuals. That's why Jesus says, love your enemies. Because if you hate your enemies, you have no way to redeem and to transform your enemies. But if you love your enemies, you will discover that at the very root of love is the power of redemption. Amen? Amen? You just keep loving people and keep loving them, even though they're mistreating you. Here's the person who is a neighbor, and this person is doing something wrong to you and all of that. Just keep being friendly to that person. Keep loving them. Don't do anything to embarrass them. Just keep loving them. And they can't stand it too long. Oh, they react in many ways in the beginning. They react with bitterness because they're mad because you love them like that. They react with guilt feelings, and sometimes they'll hate you a little more at that transition period, but just keep loving them, and by the power of your love, they will break down under the load. That's love, you see. It is redemptive, and that is why Jesus says, love. There is something about love that builds up and is creative. There is something about hate that tears down and is destructive. Love your enemies. When loving your enemies was put into practice, it literally changed what was happening in that time period in our nation. When Jesus' words were put into practice in a creative way. So that happened in history. And so there's this question I'm trying to get to at the end of these messages is so, so what about us? Like, how is God calling you and calling us, the church, to, to love? our enemies in this moment in time, in this very complicated, fascinating, hard moment in human history and in our nation's history, what does it look like for us to love our enemies with our heart, but also with our actions and with, with creativity? And I want to kind of divide this into two big ideas, because it's easy for us to get very individualistic, and there definitely is an individual way to do this. But I want to throw this out there. Like as a church, as a regeneration church, what would it look like for us as a church body to wrestle with? How do we love our enemies? Or how do we love people who might think we are their enemies? Like what does that look like as a church to say we are going to, going to creatively go out in love to people that might think we are against them or that we are against them? Like, what would that look like as a church body to say, we as a church, we love everyone. And then as individuals, as, as families, as, as home groups, as, as couples, as how do we look at our own real lives, at our neighborhoods, and our extended families, and our frenemies, and our, those who gossip about us, and those who have hurt us, those who have wronged us, those who we no longer speak to or try not to, How do we look at that situation and say, how can I proactively, creatively, intentionally love that person? How do I love them in a way that is redemptive? How do I see the image of God, right? If God created that human being in God's image, how do I see the image of God in that human being and say, what step can I take to actually love this person, and that's something that, that in your own individual lives, right, you have to work out with God and hopefully with community, with community, with a home group of people who can help you work that out. This morning before communion, I want to ask you to wrestle with that in your own life and, and hopefully with other people in a home group or somewhere this week. But would you first bow your heads with me? And I want to pray. We're just going to have a couple minutes of prayer, and then we'll go back to, to we'll worship and take communion. But would you just, just stop for a moment? And what I'd like to do first in, in the quiet, just in the quiet of your, of your heart with God, let's, let's obey what, this, what Jesus has said, and let's take a moment to, to pray for our enemies. And, and now I know that you might, you might kind of say, well, I don't really call anybody my enemy. But think about those who have mistreated you, or think about a people group who you don't understand, a person who thinks a certain way that, that you have a problem with. And can we, in the quiet, obey what Jesus said and let us pray for our enemies. So I'm, I'm going to give you like just a minute or two, and in the quiet, would you pray for your enemy? God, in this moment, we individually and corporately, God, we, we are praying for those who mistreat us, praying for those who have hurt us, praying for those who have wounded us. God, we pray healing. We pray hope. We ask that your spirit would protect these people. We ask that you would, you would bring life and healing and wholeness and an understanding of your love that brings freedom and hope. But God, we pray for good things and for healing and for redemption for those who have mistreated us, God. And for the parts of us that that's hard, God, would you give us the strength? Would your spirit move in us that we could actually want what is good for those people, that we could want your healing and your hope for all those people, God? Amen. So this morning, in, in a few moments, we're going to take communion, the, the symbol of Jesus' sacrifice for our sins. It's this great symbol of forgiveness and of sacrifice for us. But I want us to, to pause for a moment. Actually, if you, want the, if you need some elements, Stephanie's in the back. You want to raise your hand real quick? There's usually a, a couple of us that need some of these communion elements but if you want to raise your hand and grab a communion element, we'll, we'll get you one. This juice that symbolizes the blood of Christ shed for us and this cracker symbolizing the body of Christ broken for us. And I want to take a moment before we take communion to pause and remember the fact that, that Jesus sacrificed himself for all humans. That, that all humans made in the image of God. That The human who has done the worst to you God loves that person, amen? God cares about that person who has done the worst thing to you. And it may be deep and and so deep and real even in this moment. God loves that person. God wants redemption, right? Reconciliation, hope, love for that person. So let's consider this as we take this communion and celebrate the sacrifice of Jesus and this love and forgiveness of Jesus. Why Why don't we go ahead and take this together this morning? is the body of Christ broken for us and the blood of Christ shed for us. Let's pray together and then we'll sing. God thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your forgiveness. God and as you have forgiven us and as you have loved us with all our scars. You have loved us with all our flaws. You have loved us with all those parts of us that we still can't quite get going the right way we want to. You have loved us anyway. You have forgiven us. God, may you grow us into people who love everybody with our hearts and with our actions, even those who have hurt us badly. God, may your spirit move in us Give us this kind of courage, of audacity to, to love everybody. In Jesus name, Amen.